yourself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn your luck back and it's all in the past Good afternoon and welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. Uh, joined this afternoon by Mick Lowe's and I thought it was great to have Mick on because we got a decent result last week, so it's not all doom and gloom. Are you saying I'm a lucky omen? Let's have me on every week then. <laughs> uh, honestly, mate, um, great result last week. Came out of nowhere, uh, really. Um, all the doom and gloom, we were all miserable. Um, but what a difference a weekend makes. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, watching you know the, the Tottenham game, you know there was an element that, that you know there had to be an element that um, you know we missed chances, uh, Tottenham missed chances, um, and at the end of the day, had Tottenham really put their foot to the pedal, if Tottenham had really gone for it, um, then I'm not too sure we would have got uh, the point that we got, but we did, and I think as I said when I first started doing this, probably two three months ago now. Um, there will be no rational way, Steve, as to whether we survive or whether we go down. You know, there will be strange results. There will be weird results. There will be results like 94th minute winners for, for Wolves last night. There'll be last minute equalisers for Jamal Lascelles. There'll be games you should have won that you lost. There'll be games that you should have drawn that you'll win. Um, there will be no logic to it, Steve. There'll be absolutely no logic to it. I stand by the fact that it, I think it will go down to the final two games. I think it's impossible for anybody. And I said last week, if you remember, that I didn't think we'd get anything against Tottenham necessarily, but I don't think Fulham are going to pull up any trees. Fulham have now lost four, four on the bounce. You know, at a time of the season when you want momentum, they're going back the other way. Now, I'm not saying that, and I cannot say, and no one in their right mind would say, that one win in 21 is anything like other than absolutely shambolic form. But as it happens, at this minute in time, Newcastle have lost only one of their last four. Now, yes, they're drawing, but they're not losing. And we talked about stats last weekend and how they can be manipulated. Sometimes they can be, be manipulated in your favour. You know, I don't think we necessarily deserved a huge amount from Tottenham, but it showed a response to Brighton. It showed a willingness to play for the manager and it set them up nicely for a massive game against Burnley tomorrow. And suddenly, all right, we haven't got momentum, momentum, but we've certainly got a bit more belief. And I'm telling you, and you know, you look at that league table this morning, we're three points ahead of Fulham with two games in hand. If you'd said that a month and a half ago, you'd have been locked up. Yeah, would have snapped your hand off as well Absolutely. for that. Absolutely. I know one of the games in hand against Man City, but it's the funny part of the season. And now our, our record against Man City recently hasn't been that bad, you know. No, so, no. hey, you never know. Uh, as always, Mick will take your questions. Any questions you've got, uh, get them in. We'll go straight in with Paul Oxley, who says, Hi, Mick. We're four points out of the next two games. Be a good return. That will probably put a seven points clear of Fulham next weekend with them having Arsenal away. It, it would be an amazing return, you know, off the back of, not having lost games. Yes, we've drawn games. Yes, they've not been the greatest, you know, draws in the world. You know, but at the same time, as I've said, Fulham have lost four on the spin. You know, Fulham's fixtures, you know, they've got Arsenal away and Chelsea away. They're next two. So, again, we've got the opportunity to steal a march on them because with the best will in the world, Burnley away and even West Ham at home, who I like what they're doing. I love Kevin Nolan. You know I do. I like David Moyes as a manager. But, you know, I think I think they're punching above their weight, West Ham. You know, in a very mediocre Premier League, they're doing exceptionally well. But I don't think them coming to St. James's Park is anything other than 
an opportunity. We shouldn't view West Ham at, at St James's in the same way that we, we would judge a, a Chelsea or a Manchester City or a Manchester United, even though they're in and around West Ham. So I think while, you know, Fulham, with only six games left, don't forget, Fulham have got Arsenal and Chelsea, Newcastle have got Burnley and West Ham United. And I think the, the key word tomorrow is I've, I've been probably quite rightly criticised for being a little bit negative and a little bit playing the percentages in terms of I thought that the point at West Brom was decent and could prove to be decent. A couple of the other draws, I really thought that they were OK when people were jumping up and down saying we should win these games. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I would want them to be brave. I think tomorrow we've got a bit of wriggle room because we're, 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 we are three points clear of Fulham. We have got two games in hand. My big question to fans today is, would you be brave enough? Would you be brave enough to play Callum Wilson tomorrow, knowing it could win you the game and it could be a huge, huge three points? And then knowing with West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester and Manchester City, there is a little bit, I hate to say this, there's a little bit of recovery room if he suffers any sort of repercussion. What I'm saying is, do we play him tomorrow to win us the game, running the risk of an injury? That's great question. Great question. Uh, get your opinions in. Let Mick know what you think. Uh, Joe Walker says, uh, Afternoon all. Great to see you again, Mick. Do you think this squad has enough character and belief to go to Turf Moor tomorrow and get three points? Fulham look done, but at times, mm. so have we. I think Fulham look like, Steve, um, what they are, which is a little bit of an assortment, a little bit of a thrown together. You know, there's always the great attraction of London, so you do get a different breed of player playing in London because of the, the attraction of, of living in the West End. There's, there's no nicer place in the country to live than the West End of London and Fulham, with the exception of Newcastle, of course. Um, but, you know, they do attract players. They've got an awful lot of players on loan from, from the likes of Chelsea who don't have to get out their beds in the morning. They can go straight to Fulham. So the character of Fulham is in question. Now, I have in the past questioned, you know, Newcastle's um, application and the lack of leaders. And I still stand by the lack of leaders. And obviously that's hit massively by Lascelles being out tomorrow. But if you remember, Steve, and we've talked about this not once and twice and three times, you're a fan, I'm a fan. Matt Ritchie, I'm a fan of Matt Ritchie. I would find a place again for Matt Ritchie tomorrow in the same way that I didn't think he would against Tottenham, but he did. And I thought he was outstanding. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's not about whether he scores goals. And it's not about whether he contributes and he's pretty and he's this, that and the other. He's a presence. He's a presence. And if a young player does anything wrong on the pitch, Matt Ritchie will be in his face. You know, Matt Ritchie will be telling these players we need to be better than this. So tomorrow I would look at keeping Ritchie in the side. I would want Kieran Clark back in the side. I would want Kraft out of the side and I would want Monkeo back in the side. And suddenly it looks like against the Burnley side, who just draw at home. They don't do an awful lot at home. Nobody has scored less than them outside the bottom three in the Premier League. They've only scored 12 goals all season at home. I would be brave and I would have those characters in the side and I would go for it tomorrow because I think we've got almost a free hit because we've got points and games in hand on Fulham. It's the easiest fixture, probably with the exception of Sheffield United and Fulham. But then again, you have to factor in the pressure of the last two games of the season, I think tomorrow is a real opportunity. If we go there and win at Turf Moor tomorrow, I hope I'm seriously hope I'm not tempting fate. I think we've got one finger 
on the survival ladder. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, captaincy, that's a big question, of course. Uh, Jamal Asselz, you know, looks as if he's out mm. possibly for the rest of the season. Does yeah. that mean he's going to give it the armband to Shelby, who, of course, was his second choice? Or is he going to be brave enough and, and go for a complete reversal on Matt Ritchie and give it to him? Because he's a leader, <laughs> he's a leader on the pitch, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. 100% spot on. I mean, I came on here today to say, and again, because I've done it before, sing the praises of Matt Ritchie and how much he might be. He might be a prickly character. He might be a, a fairly confrontational character. Um, but you want him on your pitch. You want him in the, you want him in the trenches with you. Um, I'm not sure. The one thing I would say is I'm not sure his captaincy material. Shelby, I don't mind as a captain. I'd, I'd like him to be more vocal. I don't know, Stephen. I, I really don't know why. Um, and I don't think it's a snub to either Shelby or to, or to, or to Matt Ritchie. I don't know why. Why isn't Kieran Clark being talked about as a possible captain tomorrow? Kieran Clark, for me, has been consistently the best defender in this squad for a long time now. I like Kieran Clark. Kieran Clark is a proper player. He's a proper person. Uh, there's everything about Kieran Clark I like. I don't see why Kieran Clark can't be captain at Burnley tomorrow. I've absolutely. I don't. I. I, I, I keep thinking I'm missing something. I keep thinking that you know people you know who who know him better than me um, are telling me otherwise, but. If it was down to me, I have to say, although there is an argument, and again, because my knowledge isn't that great these days, somebody told me that the stats with Shelby as captain are very good, that he scores goals, that he rises to the occasion. And a lot of players do that. You know, given the responsibility of the armband, they turn it on a bit more. So if, if that stat can be backed up, give it to Shelby. If not, I would give it to Kieran Clark. I would let John Joe Shelby carry on in midfield, concentrating on his game. Yeah, fair enough. Darren says, uh, afternoon, gents. He's noticed. He says, Mick, with your good omens for the Spurs game, who are you tipping for the national? I've no idea. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you, know, you know what it is? There, there was a time, Steve, I could have told you, probably all 40 runners, I could have given you the odds on each of the top top 10 in the field. Um, today, I don't even know. You know, I don't, you know, horse racing is a mirror image of football, Steve. Um, I turned on the telly on Thursday. I thought, what's this? It's the Grand National Festival. You know, they're not happy mm -hmm. having the Grand National. Now they've got to spin it out for three days. You know, you, you, you've got to have racing on a Thursday or Friday. I mean, this has gone on for a while now. Um, but what it does is it just dilates. It's a bit like having semi-finals at Wembley, isn't it? You know, it's a bit yeah. like, you know, the, the big day, the big cup final, the big national. Where is it? Is it five o'clock? Is it three o'clock? Is it two o'clock? Is it half time in the football? Where is it? Sorry, I'm a, you know, I used to love my racing. Uh, like I used to love my football, but I've just got a little bit um, distracted by it. So, no, I don't know the winner of the year. I used to, because as we know from my last uh, appearance on it here, the Grand National always used to be my birthday weekend. So as a kid, it was the only time I had any money to put a bet on. And I used to get, a, it was this, this is the days of red rum, by the way. I mean, this is, this is in the days of a uh, long, long time ago. Yeah, Keith Gray says Richie should be captain. Fernandez is better yeah. than Lascelles, but was last week's huge improvement down to injuries and availability or manager tactical genius? Given that Bruce is clueless, I, I, I mentioned this earlier in the week with Malcolm and uh, Gibbo. But yeah. uh, for me, um, that international break. Sometimes international breaks come at a bad time. I think it came at a good time, and maybe Bruce and Graham Jones and the rest of the coaching staff have yeah. got their heads together and said, right. 
what do we do different to change, you know, to change our fortunes? And they got it right last week. There's no doubt. Give praise when praise is due. Absolutely. Last week against Tottenham, they got it right. I mean, I, I agree to it. I agree to a point, Steve. Um, the, the one thing I would say is I don't. I honestly don't. And I don't want to be the harbinger of doom and everybody's entitled to their opinions and, and you know, you more than any. Um, I, I didn't think it was that great a performance. I, I just think the problem was Brighton had the bar somewhere 15 feet under and we got to a level of about six feet above ground level. So we, we, we were improving, but the bar was set so low by Brighton we couldn't have been anything other than better. You know, if we'd only played five minutes football in the 90 and got a nil-nil draw, it would have been better than Brighton. So I, I don't, I, I'm never, I'm not going to go as far because I don't want to preempt the situation. I don't want people to get carried away thinking we're going to go to Burnley now because we've got a draw with Tottenham and we're going to win. I think Burnley's a more difficult game than Tottenham is at home. And going back to the uh, coaching masterclass or the managerial masterclass or whatever it was that was said, and I'm sure it was tongue-in-cheek, there was no logic at all about playing Emilio Kraft at right. Kraft's awful. I mean, he's a poor, poor player. So, you know, there were one or two selections. Gale, who I'd sort of thought, well, may, may again, let you down. At Premier League level, you know, Dwight Gale just doesn't cut the mustard. Now, on the plus side, um, he was brave enough to start our mate Murphy, who, who was very good. He was brave enough to play Matt Ritchie, who was very, very good. Um, and I have to say, yes, his goal was as straightforward as straightforward can be. And yes, he didn't do an awful lot in the game. But as his biggest critic, I'll hold my hands up now. I didn't like a lot of what he did. I don't like him, particularly as a player. You know who I'm talking about. But I would keep him in the side tomorrow, Joel Linton, because it would be ridiculous psychologically to leave somebody out when you haven't really got too many other options and he's just scored a goal. I think you have to give Joel Linton another go at Burnley tomorrow. He may he may not oblige. I don't know. But, you know, there, there were one or two positives came out of that Tottenham game. You're right. By all accounts, you requested extra training this week um, in front of goal, Joel Linton, which is great. I mean, that Absolutely. kind of thing, you don't mind that kind of leak coming out of no. uh, the dressing room, do you? <laughs> no, you know, and I'm, you know, in all of my criticism of him, because I don't know him, you know, it's never been personal. But I have to say, I'm a great believer in body language. You know, you know, I've got a degree in psychology, and and I like, I like, I'm a, I'm a great people watcher. And the one thing about him is, I do think on occasions, he just looks like a little boy lost. You know, it's it's not that he's he's tossing it off. It's not that he, I mean, it does appear on occasions he's doing that. But I just think he's he, he struggles to acclimatise. I don't actually think for a guy who's six foot odd, has got all the pace in the world, has, has been a big player in Germany, he just strikes me as Mr. Meek and Mild over here. I think he's been overawed by the Premier League. I think I, I, I would love to, you know, as much as I've criticised him, I would love for him to score again tomorrow, get a couple of goals at, at St. James's against West Ham. I know we're dreaming now. But yeah. I'd, just, I'd just like to see the difference in his demeanour. I'd like to see the difference in his personality and his psyche. Because at the minute, he just looks like a shrinking violet all the time who doesn't really care. You know, that, that goal, if he, if he was to start tomorrow and get another one tomorrow, cool, fingers crossed, you know?
Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Leeds are winning 1-0, 42, 42 minutes. Stuart Dallas scored at Man City. So uh, we are getting into that stage of the season where funny results happen, although I would imagine Man City will come out and uh, change that in the second half. But you never know. But you never know. Tom Lynch says, Mick, will he be celebrating with apple pie and custard if we get a decent result tomorrow? That, of course, is uh, just mentioning what Steve Bruce had said. I thought it was quite funny. I saw on I social media. Tell me, tell me. Well, some of our, basically, at his press conference, Steve Bruce said that um, he'd watched the Fulham game. And uh, he said by the time he'd had his apple pie and custard, things had changed and, and Fulham were getting beat. I thought it was funny. Some, yeah. some fans, of course, went up in arms saying he's taken the mick out of our situation. Um, I thought it was tongue in cheek, and and I just thought he's showing a human side. You know, he's you know he's he's you know he's sitting at home, he's watching the watching the game, and it's as hard for him as manager watching it as it is for us. And again, I've criticised Steve Bruce, but mm. I think sometimes you know you you have to you have to level the criticism when it's deserved. I don't think it was deserved last weekend. I think he I think he earned a rest from all the abuse he's been getting last week. To be honest. You're absolutely. I mean, you know, I've, I've said it, I've said it a hundred times, Steve. You know, I don't come on, you know, necessarily to defend him, but I respect him, and I think we need to be respectful on occasions. You know, people deserve criticism when criticism is just. You know, people deserve. You know, we we all know when we when we're not performing properly, or we're not, or we're not, you know, doing the best that we could possibly do. Um, but I'm telling you something. You know, if you're getting upset about apple pie and custard. You, you may as well go and sit in a darkened room for the next two months because it's not going to be nice the next two months. It's going to be harem scarem. And, and if you're worrying about... And I'll tell you something else as well. Being the bloke I am, being the bloke that you are, and being the, you know, the, the, the person... We can't be sexy, we can't say bloke. You know, being the Newcastle fans we are, do we not think we'd worry more if Steve Bruce said, well, I was sitting at home eating my foie gras, or I was, or, or, or I, 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 I was sitting at home, home having my tiramisu, uh, and I was sitting at home having my gorgonzola uh, as my cheese course, uh, watching the Fulham game. Can you imagine what would happen if he said that? Apple pie, and, <laughs> apple pie and custard. Proper football fan. Apple pie and custard. <laughs> Honestly, seriously. Yeah, I, some people just like to uh, twist on 21, sadly. Uh, the big, big news this week, away from, from the football pitch, mm. was, yeah. of course, the pledge 1892, which uh, yeah. the Newcastle United Supporters Trust have uh, launched this week. And uh, yeah. obviously got a few familiar faces involved as guardians. Warren Barton's up there supporting it. Uh, Ian Mearns, the local MP. And, of course, George Colgan, the journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee Humble as well, who I believe is a financial expert, accountant, what have you. He's involved. So look, they've got um, you know they've got it launched. Yeah. Um, the idea behind it, for those of you who uh, haven't heard, of course, is that uh, you pledge your money. Uh, you can pledge a lump sum. You can pledge uh, uh, you know a, a monthly rate from your direct debit. Uh, that really goes into the trust. It's as simple as that. Goes into the trust's bank account. The guardians are then there to look over it and decide, you know, um, you know what 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 is spent, when it's spent, uh, and how it's spent. And the idea is to accumulate as much cash as possible. The dream scenario for them would be, um, you know, that they would have a, a position at the club, at the table, on the board. But it's, you know, look for me. I, I, I take my hat off to them. I've known about it for three years. I remember the concept. I remember the idea been put together by Alex, by Norman at the Trust. I was on the Trust board for, for a year uh, whilst they were still formulating the plans. Um, I've got to be honest, it's not something I would pledge to. I said last night on the Three Amigos show, it's not something I would pledge to. I give enough to charity. However, 
I understand the idea. And, and you know, if people are willing to put in and put money into it, if, God forbid, something happened like we did a Leeds or did a Sunderland and dropped into the, the third tier of English football and financially we were in a right mess and people were still putting into the pledge, I think this would probably play a huge part in maybe, you know, helping the football club. But I think as it is, you know, fingers crossed, we're going to stay in the Premier League this year. Mike Ashley isn't interested in in selling anything other than to to the the Saudis, to the richest bidder. And I think the incoming owners, PIF, uh, along with the Rubens if, and Amanda if, Stavely, if, 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 yeah, if they come in, I don't think they would be keen on, on giving a, a percentage to, to the fans either. So I personally feel that it's, yeah, great idea, great concept. If the worst case scenario happened, it gives you an option. But I, I'm interested to know what you think, Mick. Um, I think a few things, Steve. Uh, I think some um, uh, positives. I think some, uh, I would probably um, use the word naivety more than anything. Um, but I think it's well intended. I wish it well. Um, I have said for as long as I've ever been associated with Newcastle United that the lifeblood of the club are the fans. The most important people are the fans. I stood on a pitch the day I said goodbye against Blackburn Rovers and addressed the crowd and was very um, privileged to do so and said to them that day, Kevin Keegan came back for you. Kevin Keegan didn't come back for Newcastle. He came back for the fans. Alan Shearer rejected every club in the world to play for you, the fans. Bobby Robson wrote his final chapter with you, the fans, not Newcastle United. Rafa Benitez was in the dressing room that day trying to plot a promotion for the fans, not for Newcastle, not for him, for the fans. The most important people are the fans. What I would say about this, the, the trust, is that it has done a fantastic job in galvanising and united uniting Newcastle United fans. I mean, they've got a 14,000 membership and, and for that they should be applauded because, and this is, this, is the, this, is the, this is the kicker as far as I was concerned when I worked there, Steve, it used to drive me mad uh, that these fantastic fans who I love dearly could never unify themselves, could never get themselves together, could never... You know, it was. It, I used to joke uh, in, in a in a in a in a sad way about you know, are you the people's front of Judea? No, we're the Judean people's front because there were splinter groups all over Newcastle purporting to be the official voice of Newcastle United. And then when Liverpool want to get rid of Gillette and Hicks at Anfield, I'm on the I'm watching the television and there's half you know there's there's fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand people just marching as one behind a banner get out of our club. And I'm thinking, why can't we do that? Why can't Newcastle United do that? I know we've had little demonstrations. We've had this, that and the other. And you've played your part over the years as well. But it used to really hurt me, the fact that all these people I knew, all these great people were more interested in, you know, their fanzine or somebody else's fanzine or their supporters group and not somebody else's supporters group. You know, that they just couldn't get behind a great big black and white banner and march on St. James's Park from 2007 onwards and tell this fella, we don't want you here. Get out of here. Now, it's taken, oh God, what is it now? 14 years for there to be some sort uh, of unity. And it's now come in the, in, the, in the shape of, you know, trying to buy into the club. Because the problem is, because they haven't done all those things that they might have done in the past, 
the, the ship has sailed, Steve. You can't get involved in football clubs now. You know, there was a time when fans groups, I mean, the best example is Swansea, isn't it? You know, Swansea fans resurrected their football club. But all they were doing was matching, you know, the, the owner or matching the local benefactor in terms of finance. Fans can't match three hundred million pounds. Fans can't find three hundred and fifty million. Fans can't find thirty million. Yes, they can find, and they should be applauded. And I'm not, I'm not turning around and saying it's not a worthwhile exercise. It is a worthwhile exercise. But if three million pounds, which is their target, buys you one percent, what does one percent in reality of a football club get you in terms of? kudos in terms of influence in terms of a seat at the table it doesn't really get you anything and it slightly disappoints me when i hear them say well if it doesn't work and we won't we won't buy into ashley we need to buy in to whoever the next owners are if they won't let us we'll give it to charity so it almost feels like it's a gesture but at very worst we'll give it to charity and everyone will say well done you've given three million quid to charity so as much as I love the idea, as much as I um, respect the people involved, I don't know an awful lot of them. Obviously, Warren, I know, and, and, and those other players who've, who've pledged. Alex Hurst, I've, I've met, and is, is, a, is a good guy and clearly has the club at heart and has worked tirelessly and worked hard to get this off the ground. And I would love, I would love it to happen. But Steve, this is, this is, this is something for me that should happen or could have happened or would have happened or might have happened in 1971 or maybe mm. 1981, not 2021, not when football clubs are worth £350 million, not where you're dealing with megalomaniacs like Mike Ashley, not where you're dealing with, with Middle Eastern you know, entrepreneurs and businessmen who have got billions. You know, you've got to remember, you know, I, I remember famously a conversation I had with Sir John and Freddie Shepherd, God bless his soul, back in the day. They said it's time for us to step aside because football is not for millionaires anymore. It's about billionaires. So how can a fans group compete and get involved and work alongside billionaires when it very rarely happened back in the day of millionaires? I wish them so much well. I wish them so much luck. Um, and, you know, God willing, they'll, they'll make a difference. But I do have... I do have a level of um, scepticism about it. Yeah, I mean, look, the trust will always have a place at the table because yeah. it's part and parcel of the Premier League's um, remit. You know, the uh, you know football clubs in the Premier League have to meet with their trust, so they'll always have that position. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. We're going to get some of the guys uh, on at some point. They're going to be doing all the podcast uh, over the next few weeks, I would imagine, taking people's questions. Um, look, got off to a great start. I think last time I heard it was nearly £36,000 yeah. that raised. And, you know, that's, you know, people are happy to put the money into something like that and it's going to keep for a rainy day, then so be it. I've often thought, Mick, that if we did end up in that kind of position like Sunderland, that you would probably see somebody up here start off like a splinter team like a an FC Newcastle yeah. where you know I mean we've seen new non-league football's been on a huge resurgence up until COVID I mean I go to follow Dunstan lots of people yeah. follow North Shields and you know concerts there's loads of loads of these clubs locally and they've all had good success in the Vars you know in recent times trips to Wembley have been more likely with a non-league team than your than your Premier League team yeah. but the 
you know, that, that that kind of aspect, Newcastle Blue Stars are stones through now from St. James's Park. A lot of people going there. I could see that that you know that becoming a big thing if, if Newcastle did drop and you know people may put the money into that. I went there myself, Steve, last time I was up. I mean it seems like a, an age away now, but it was it was last year sometime and I met Clarkie and I, I met the chairman um, and they showed me round and I was in the, 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 the boardroom there. And and you know that is a that is a famous, famous name. Newcastle Blue Star. I mean, I was at, I was at college in in London, and then I went back down to work in London, and um, and a lad, funnily enough, a, a guy who who's now at Blackburn Rovers, a lad called Steve Waggett, who I got very friendly with. Him and his brothers played for Blue Star back in the day, in the days of Wembley, and and he regaled me with tales uh, of Blue Star and, and and their fame and fortune. You know, they they're a famous club, and I must admit that scenario has crossed my mind a good few times because. I agree with you. You know, uh, you know. I mean, I mean, let's. I mean, let's be honest. Steve, there are an awful lot of people who've turned their back on St James's and Newcastle United in the past ten years, fifteen years, who are at Blue Star, who are are watching concert, are watching North Shields, are watching good standard non-league football. So, you know, it's 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 not it's not a stretch to say that we could start a an FC United of Newcastle to term or want for one of a better phrase. Um, and but, but again, I I, I don't know. I, I I just you know that, that I think that's almost become a little bit twee now as well. You know, it's almost like well, okay, that's what fans do when they're disgruntled. Um, you know, I I I I'm one of those who I'm never going to lose sight of the fact, and never want to lose sight of the fact, and never think that people should lose sight of the fact that as a group of supporters and as a as a city they can't reclaim back Newcastle United one day. I know this guy is is obstinate. I know this guy, you know, he's not going to sell just for the sake of selling. He's not going to swallow £200 million. So we're stuck with Mike Cashley in the foreseeable future. And it's difficult. It's difficult to see the bigger picture, to see a day when Mike Ashley isn't at St James's Park. But I think we have to do that. You know, Newcastle United has been around for over 100 odd years, you know, and 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 Mike, it was there before Mike Ashley. It'll be there after Mike Ashley. We we might not be around after Mike Ashley. Plenty of supporters, uh, you know, have, have have passed away waiting for Mike Ashley to leave the football club. But it will happen one day, Steve. Now, if this supporters trust are in a position to get involved, great, great. Um, but we don't know who's coming in as a new buyer. We don't know who Ashley's going to sell to. We don't know when Ashley is ever going to sell. So we don't know. But the but the thing we should hang on to and the thing we should very definitely never, ever lose sight of, Steve, is that there will one day be a Newcastle United without Mike Ashley. There will be Newcastle United Football Club without Mike Ashley. One day. One day. And that will be a day of celebration. And that will be a day when maybe the Supporters Trust can get involved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nicholas from the Felon says, in order to make billions out of NUFC, you have to have the fans with you. Mike couldn't, should have, but he failed. He could have been the wonder story of football owners, but he blew it for quick returns. I mean, always that feeling, isn't there, that if he just continued how he started and, you know, had that love in with the fans and, and I don't like you saying, you know, used the fans, but he could have had a stadium full of 52,000 wearing Sports Direct on black and white strips if he'd only screwed his loaf on. Because he doesn't talk to anybody, Stephen, because no one's ever got close to him and nobody ever, you know, has really ever had a conversation with him. We don't really know 
where it all turned, where it all changed. You know, you can remember little episodes. Um, you know, I mean, remember famously the the one where he got captured on camera at Arsenal, drinking the drinking the pint. You know, yeah. when when there shouldn't have been alcohol in the stadium. You know, I, I think that got him a lot. You know, this is a guy who had no publicity. This is a guy who had no exposure. This is a guy who, when he floated his company, was reluctant to even give a photo of himself to the stock exchange because that's what you have to do. You have to provide photographic evidence. He'd never done that before. Nobody even knew what he looked like. So he went from literally an extreme of complete secrecy to being in the Jermaine genus goldfish bowl of Newcastle United. And I think it was just too much, too much of a, a, of a leap. You know, you've gone from literally one extreme to the other. Now, there were stories about he was upset that family members um, got a bit of stick from, from Newcastle supporters. I don't know. But I agree with you. I mean, you, you know, you know, I don't think there's a there's a Newcastle fan listening to this or, 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 or walking the streets of Newcastle who didn't in those initial few months think, God, we've cracked this because we didn't have an oligarch, Steve. We didn't have a, an Abramovich. We didn't have a, um, you know, the, the Walt Disney world of American investors. We didn't have Middle Eastern investors. We didn't. We had a bog standard English guy, billionaire, involved in sport, got a, you know, got a, a, high, a high street branch, uh, had an interest in football. You thought, this is absolute, this is it, you know, and, 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 and whether you're, you know, you're a fan of Sir John or not, and I personally am, and will never ever knock what Sir John Hall did for the club. You have to think that Sir John Hall sold the club to somebody who he believed was gonna was gonna do well by it, gonna do right by it. But where it went wrong, I don't know. But did it go wrong? You know, I mean, he's, he has literally gone from Pied Piper to to, to to pantomime villain. You know, it's it's been ridiculous. It's been ridiculous the change um, in him and his relationship with Newcastle fans. And as I say, you just have to keep thinking it's going to end one day. It's going to, you know, like everything in life, it will come to an end. And hopefully there are better times around the corner. And hopefully in the immediate, they stay in the Premier League because that's where they need to be. Yeah. Um, I've just shown you before we came on air, this arrived today. Uh, Gavin sent us a copy of his book, A Greater Glory, uh, by yeah. Gavin Peacock, uh, From Pitch to Pulpit. Uh, had a quick flick through it, and uh, it's a little bit different. It's uh, obviously going to cover his football uh, life, but obviously covers his, his journey into religion as well. And uh, it's been published by the Christian Focus Group. Um, but basically, uh, looking forward to getting into that this weekend. Uh, obviously, the foreword done by Glenn Hoddle. What a fabulous book. A must read for all, not just football fans. Loved it. So, something a little bit different. Memories of Gavin Peacock, Mick. You you were lucky enough to see him play at Newcastle Lake. Yeah. What were your memories from the commentary box? Good player. I mean, first and foremost, you know, let, let, let's talk about his footballing ability because, you know, that's, as I famously say, you know, what, what it all boils down to. You know, you know him... him and Ned Kelly, uh, you know, essentially got Newcastle to the to that to the hallowed land. You know, you know they they got Newcastle up and into the Premier League. You know, yes, it was a very good team. You know, I mean, you, you're talking Rob Leesley, Clarks. You're talking you know super players. But the but the two guys who put the ball in the back of the net, a initially for survival when I first uh, when I first got here um, in, in the 91 92 season. And then for promotion in 92-93 were Gavin Peacock and David Kelly. Um, and, and interestingly, as a pairing, you know, 
you, you, you probably couldn't find two more different characters, you know. Ned, you know, Dave Kelly was a, a real Jack the Lad, real sort of laugh a minute. But but Gavin was always, you know, very studious. Don't forget, he, he came from a famous footballing family. Um, his dad, Keith, famously, if people don't know this, was the first ever Football League substitute. So back in 62, 63, or was it 63, 64 season when they introduced substitutes. Keith Peacock was the first ever uh, substitute when he came on for Charlton in a game. So, you know, uh, and was a famous old player as a kid, I remember. You know, if you talked about Charlton, you talked about Keith Peacock. So he was the son of Keith Peacock. He had, you know, he'd, he'd been to Gillingham. He'd worked his way through. Um, and then he came to Newcastle. Um, and despite the fact that, as I say, he wasn't ever really um, a socialite. He, he was he was a he was a steady away sort of guy. Lovely guy. Lovely guy. But loved Newcastle. Loved Newcastle. You know, loved loved the people, you know, loved their passion for the game. Um, and I think a bit like David Kelly, it. It sort of hurt him to leave, but, you know, I mean, he, he ended up at Chelsea. He ended up in cup finals. You know, he had a good, good career, um, Gavin Peacock. But, yeah, good player. I mean, good player. You know, would would, would stand the test of time. If, if we had to put him in there against Burnley tomorrow, you would have absolutely no qualms. You know, he would get you a goal at Turf Moor tomorrow, Gavin Peacock. Yeah, he would. Great player, great guy. Uh, Trey and Sun says it was the way he treated Kevin Keegan and then he had it in for us, daring to criticise his actions concerning Kevin. He's been on a revenge mission ever since. Getting back to Ashley there, but um, I, you often feel that that was a... It was probably his biggest mistake because you bring Kevin back, he's idolised in these parts and rightly so, mm. but to cross him and to fall out with him and then ultimately have the indignity of being taken to court by him and then Kevin winning, you know, it was, he was never going to win that. He was never going to win that war, was he? And, and that ultimately probably made the relationship, you know, irreparable. Well, all that does, Steve, it, all that does is give you even more evidence if you ever needed more evidence uh, of the naivety of the man. You know what I mean? You know, if you buy a football club. If, if, if you and me bought a football club um, for 300 million or, I mean, obviously you didn't buy it for 300 million at the time, 150 million, whatever it was at the time. Do you not think that you would, and, and obviously it was it was a famous case in point that he didn't do his due diligence, that he didn't look into the, to, into the, into the finance of the club necessarily. Um, he didn't, but he, but he clearly didn't get the club, you know, even though you'd think, you would if you were spending that amount of money. It was almost like a plaything for him. But even if you had a base knowledge of Newcastle United, or if it was you and I and we were buying a football club, you'd look into the characters to get on your side and the characters you must not, definitely must not upset because you're not going to beat them in a popularity uh, chase. So who does he take on? Kevin Keegan, you know? He takes on God Almighty, you know. The, the, you know he, he brings Kevin back and, and then falls out with him. And you think if you're going to bring him back, then I'm afraid you're going to have to, in the same way that Sir John did. Don't forget, you know, you know Sir John and Kevin were big, two big characters. I mean, you're talking about egos here. You're talking about successful men. You're talking about footballing men. You're talking about businessmen. You're talking about people going like that all the time. And it happens in football an awful lot, you know. So Sir John and and and, and Kevin were like rutting stags in, in the in the early days, but then they got it together. They, they became this mutual respect. They became this mutual um, concern to work for the good of Newcastle United. 
So Ashley then tries to do that with Kevin Keegan and he doesn't know there's only going to be one winner. So, yeah, again, going back to, you know, how dramatically it changed for Mike Ashley in, in the way that he was perceived um, and the way that he was regarded by Newcastle fans. He just he just made mistake after mistake after mistake. And as you say, one of the biggest ones was falling out with Kevin Keegan. But how you do that, I don't know. Because, you know, again, he has to have advisors. And I talked about last time on, about from 2007, people at St. James's have been walking around on eggshells. Because now, it's like the King's new clothes. It's like the King's new clothes, you know? He's walking around the town naked and no one dare tell him, you know? He gets Kevin Keegan in and nobody dare tell him, whatever you do, don't fall out with KK. Don't try and take him on. Don't don't try and do the dirty on him. Don't try and foster off some director of football or Dennis Wise on him. If you're bringing him back, bring him back for the right reasons. If you're bringing him back, make sure you look after him. Make sure you know you might just have to swallow a bit of humble pie. He was never going to do that, and as a result, it was always going to end in tears. And everything from sort of 2011 onwards concerning Mike Ashley and Newcastle United has invariably ended in tears because of his naivety and because of his lack of understanding and his lack of love and care for Newcastle United. Sean Longstaff was back uh, last week. Uh, what did you make yeah. him? He was back, back in the, you know, back in the team. Um, a lot of a lot of talk about the Longstaffs over the last couple of years. You know, yeah. Matty, of course, uh, getting a couple of goals. You know, great goals against Man United. Um, you know, in his debut season. But Sean Longstaff was mooted to to move to Manchester United for a, a twenty million pound fee at one stage. But then it all all the you know the wheels came off. Everything everything seemed to come to a grind and halt under Steve yeah. Bruce. But back in the team, uh, do you expect to see? him uh, you know making some more progress again um if you're asking me do i expect the answer to that is i don't know uh, if you're asking me do i want him in the side um <laughs> the answer again is probably i don't know um I, I i think probably not i mean i talked last week steve uh, about the lack of characters and the fact that at this stage of the season I think I think we need we need a bit of, of character in there. We need a few leaders. We need a few people who are going to scream and ball, and 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 because he's he's finding his way in the game. You know, the pair of them are finding the way in the game. The young Longstaffs. I think it's it's unfair on them in many ways. You know, as I said right at the top of the show, I do think this is why Fulham are struggling because I I just don't think Fulham have got the characters. Uh, and I, and I'm thinking about my team for tomorrow. And and that's why I mentioned earlier I would I would find a place again for Richie. I would bring Kieran Clark back in, no shadow of a doubt. I would bring Mankio back into the side. I don't know why he left Willock on the bench last week. I do not know, because what he gives us is runs from midfield, pace from midfield. So for me, straight away, that you know, there's three players I would bring back tomorrow. I would bring back Willock, I would bring back Clark, and I would bring back Mankio. Now obviously Clark has got to come back in a in a way. For um, for Jamal Lascelles, and this is another body blow. I mean, you know, we've talked before about his his luck with injuries, and now he's losing his skipper. Um, but I joked with with Chris Woff on online yesterday, you know, because Chris Woff said, "Oh, we've lost a leader, we've lost a big player." I said, "You've not only lost that, you've lost a goal scorer." I mean, he's he's come up with two goals in recent weeks that have been the difference between getting a point and losing a game of football. So forget Jamal Lascelles, the defender. Forget Jamal Lascelles the Napoleon-like leader of the side. Jamal Lascelles, Alan Shearer, goal scorer, is, is, is more of a worry to me uh, in a roundabout way. So I would, I would find a place for them. Um, 
So I would probably I would probably not include Longstaff. I would go four four two. I've talked many times about four four two. My 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 going back to the point I made earlier about would you find a place for um for Callum Wilson or would you gamble on Callum Wilson? And this is where Steve Bruce will earn his this is where managers earn their salt, Steve. This is where they really do earn their corn because he has to make a decision tomorrow. Does he look at the long term or does he look at the short term? I'm sure he'll do the right thing by Callum Wilson. I'm sure he won't risk him. But as I said, and I'm playing devil's advocate now, I think there might be an argument for giving Callum Wilson a run, knowing that the next five games after that are very, very difficult and he might not make too much of a difference. He will make a huge difference tomorrow. My other, my other, my other question, Mark, is John Anderson and myself used to have a, a, a conversation very, very often about Paul Dummett. And I've had the conversation with Paul himself and his dad as well about Paul Dummett, the centre-half. I wonder, I wonder, is there a case tomorrow? I might, bearing in mind, bearing in mind, Burnley have scored only 12 goals all season. I mentioned this earlier. The worst scoring record outside the bottom three. They've drawn their last five games. They're not going to necessarily hurt you. They're not going to run all over you. In the way that Brighton were capable of, I don't think Burnley are capable of that. I've got an idea in my head. I might play a back four tomorrow of Mankiw at right back, Kieran Clark, with Paul Dummett alongside him. I would leave out Jamal Lewis because I, I don't like him as a defender, even though I don't think he'll have to do an awful lot of defending tomorrow. And I might play Matt Ritchie at left back. So I might play Ritchie, Dummett, Clark and Mankio as a back four tomorrow. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. It was, it was interesting speaking to the lads last night on the show because everyone, you know, that's the problem, isn't it? We've all got different ideas and yeah. and, and all different and all different formations. And uh, like you say, the injury situation is the biggest, the biggest problem that Steve Bruce seems to have had at different yeah. clubs. Why do you think that is? Is it is that down to the training? Is it down to the conditioning? What what do you think it's down to, or is it just simply down to luck? We talked about it last week and I, and I said exactly that. I, I just think it's down to luck. I just think you have, sometimes in football, you have good luck. Sometimes you have bad luck. Um, you know, and, and if, you wanted a, if you wanted evidence of that and, and, and no greater evidence of that, and again, we spoke about it, I think the day after it happened or the week after it happened, you know, Isaac Hayden, who, who's a huge miss at the minute, but he gets injured with a guy falling into him who he's not looking at. It, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen unless you're having really, really bad luck. I mean, Callum Wilson is a hamstring. Hamstrings happen all the time. You know, so, you know, it, it's if, if you could, if you, if you, uh, I mentioned it, uh, I think two weeks ago about, you know, Graham Souness, but they were all the same injuries. I think they were all hamstrings or all groins, um, but they were all, they were all muscle in, they were all muscle injuries. And he was convinced it was it was pitches. Now these are happening. These aren't happening in training. These are happening at different football grounds, in different games, in different scenarios, in different ways. So there's no logic. There's no logic. They're not. All, you know, it's not like hundred meter sprinters are suddenly pulling up because oh, my hamstring's gone. You know, they're all different injuries. It, it is just sod's sod's law. And and I have to say, going back to the bit about apple pie and custard. It's. I. I just think, Steve. It's. It's another. It's another. It's another excuse for people to try and jump on Steve Bruce because they just need things to jump on Steve Bruce for. I'm not defending him. I'm not. You know. Everybody knows what I think. Um, 
but I don't think you can start saying Steve Bruce is responsible for all these injuries. It, it, that, that, for me, is ridiculous. Takeover has been mentioned again this week. Uh, obviously, the insider broke the story. Um, you know, I, I don't put much faith in, in, in any of these stories coming out, to be honest. We don't know whether arbitration started. We don't know whether it's halfway through. We don't know whether it's close to an end. Um, but, you know, the, the story suggested that the takeover could go through by June or July. But we've been hearing this for the last year now, haven't we? Steve, I hate to say it, but whatever will be, will be. Whatever will be. It's a bit like relegation or survival. Whatever will be, will be. I mean, I'm not I'm not great on philosophy or, you know, or, you know, um, the existential side of life. But it's true. You know, there are some things you can't dictate. There are some things you can't influence. Um, and, you know, a takeover at that level for us to try and even second guess it. For us to try and think, well, OK, if I was Mike Ashley, I'd be doing this. Or if I was PIF, I'd be doing that. Or if I was Amanda Stavely, I'd be doing this. Or if it's another investor or it, whatever, whatever. It, it can't happen. And at this minute, it's a, you know, again, one of the areas where I agree with Steve Bruce is he, he, he can't think about this. He, you know, let, let fans worry about it. Let Mike Ashley worry about it. Let Lee Charmy worry about it. Steve Bruce has to make sure, first and foremost, as we all do, because that's what we're... If, if you took a straw poll now, Steve, of 5,000 Newcastle United fans and said to them one simple question, are you more concerned with the takeover or are you more concerned with staying in the Premier League? I can guarantee you 49,999 would say we're more interested in staying in the Premier League. It's for another day, the takeover. You know, you know, we, we were we were we were victims victims of a takeover in 2007 which we thought as we mentioned earlier was going to do good by the club which was going to be beneficial to the club look what's happened you know many other clubs many other clubs of, of, of there's a club not a million miles uh, from here you know nottingham forest they've had more takeovers than the corner shop you know and and they're no better off and they've been 20 years in the championship they don't at the end of the day, they don't actually guarantee you anything anyway. So we're worrying about a takeover, which may actually be more detrimental to the football club. We don't know, Steve. We don't know. The people coming in might have billions, but they might not know how to use it. The people coming in might say that they're going to they're going to do good by the club, and a year down the line they might sell it. We don't know. We have to look out and look after what's most important. And what's most important at this minute in time is three points at Burnley staying in the Premier League, spending the off-season worrying or wondering about what might be happening to the football club. Because the football club, as I mentioned earlier with regard to Mike Ashley, will go on regardless. Newcastle United and their supporters is bigger than Mike Ashley. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than the, the Newcastle United supporters trust. Newcastle United Football Club is the biggest thing in that city. And it will go on and on and on. Um, and we're just small, small parts and small cogs in their workings. Yeah. Got to ask you about VAR. Um, I know you didn't see the game last night, but another controversial decision. Um, luckily for Newcastle fans, uh, Wolves still managed to get the winner last night. But, yeah. I mean, VAR was brought in to avoid mistakes. It was to, to prevent these kind of howlers, yeah. um, not get every decision right. But, I yeah. mean... 
that decision last night, I felt was subjective. Yeah. I, I felt it was onside. Um, yeah. But you know, clear and obvious is becoming a it's becoming a farcical term now. You're a hundred percent right. And do you know what? It, the, the the worm has turned. You know, the, the the argument has actually gone, as you say, full circle. Because you're absolutely right. VAR, after years and years and years of arguing about machines and replays, was finally brought in because it was there to make sure, in the, in the worst-case scenario, that a team wasn't relegated, for instance, from the Premier League and lost out on £400 million worth of Sky money because a goal that should have been a goal wasn't a goal, or a goal that was a goal wasn't a goal, and you went down by one point, or you went down by one goal on goal difference, and the difference was a goal or a match or a result that shouldn't have happened. That was the whole basis of it. So what do we get last night, and what are we getting increasingly? You know, Fulham might have picked up a point last night, courtesy of a goal which didn't count from Wolves, that should have counted by Wolves. Fulham might have survived by a point on, on final day. We might have been relegated. And the point that kept them up shouldn't, shouldn't have happened. They should have lost to Wolves. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, it, it, it has turned full circle. The, the argument to bring in VAR is now been completely lost and games are being jeopardised by VAR for all the reasons which they were supposed to legislate the result and make sure that the result was the right one. So we are in a right mess. And what they do, I don't know. I mean, they can't rip it up. They, they, they won't. They won't lose face to the degree that they say we're going to stop VAR. I just think, as I think I've said on this programme before, you need to take out the subjective. You need, you need to take out the human element. You need to take out trying to, trying to second guess, did that footballer deliberately hurt that player? Did he dive? Did he not dive? Stick to the basics. Stick to goal line technology. I mean, we thought offside was going to be literally a case of drawing a line. And that's got stupid as well. So, um, it, it, it will be reviewed. It will be reviewed. But, I mean, thank God. Thank God that, that Traore turned up with a, a, a 94th minute goal. Otherwise, you know, Fulham would have drawn a game which they really should have lost. Yeah, big shout out to sponsors, Spider VPN. They've been with us the last few months for your internet security. Um, great bunch of lads, and uh, great to have them on. Also, uh, a big shout out to our new sponsors, uh, Arcot Interiors. You can give them a ring on 0191 265 8663 or visit their website, www.arcotinteriors.com. If you're a first-time visitor to the channel, uh, hit the subscription button by hitting the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right-hand corner. Hit the thumbs up to like the video and click the share button to share your social media. So, tomorrow, Burnley, uh, it's a noon kickoff uh, for Newcastle United at Turf Moor. It's going to be shown live on Sky Sports. Um, you will have heard Steve Bruce speaking yesterday um, when he wasn't talking about what he has for his dessert. He was telling us all that Jamal Lascelles has uh, suffered a suspected stress fracture in his foot uh, and will miss the game and, depending on further scans, could miss the rest of the season. Um, obviously, injury also prevented uh, Andy Carroll, Kieran Clark and Fernandez from featuring last week against Tottenham. Uh, but those injuries have eased 
Will they be involved? We'll have to wait and see. Of course, Isaac Hayden and Fabian Shaw both miss out. Uh, while it doesn't sound as if Ryan Fraser is going to be risked at all, judging what Steve Bruce said. Callum Wilson, of course, 50-50, um, treating him with kick gloves. Um, whether he decides to do what Mick mentioned earlier on and risk him um, and, and try to get that three points uh, and then have a, a little rest before we play Sheffield United and Fulham uh, remains to be seen. And uh, for Burnley, Robbie Brady, Kevin Long, Ashley Barnes are all missing, but Eric Peters and uh, Phil Bardsley, who does like to get stuck in against Newcastle um, for obvious reasons. From He'll get sent off. <laughs> He'll get sent off. He's available again. So, Anthony Taylor's a referee. Um, Stuart Atwell is pretending to know what he's doing with VAR. Uh, Mick, what's your prediction? Uh, my prediction is, well, no, my my hope is, my hope is that they're brave. I, I, you know, for once, I'd, I'm not bothered about them being conservative. I'm not, I'm not going to say I'd take a point. What I think is that the result last night at Fulham, the fact that we're three points ahead of Fulham, we have two games in hand on Fulham, I think we can afford to be brave. I think we need to go out. Burnley aren't great in terms of confidence. I think if we're brave, if we're brave, I think we can win the game. I think we could win the game 2-0. Great stuff. I hope you're right. And it's a, it's a very happy birthday to this legend, Nick. Remember him? Andreas Anderson. <laughs> I, I haven't got my glasses on, but I'm thinking that, look, that looks a little bit like Andreas Anderson. Um, One of those great players, Mick, that we saw. Well, honestly, honestly, I just thought it was Joel Linton. <laughs> I think I, I might be pushing him. It, it might as well have been. He's, I think Joel Linton's better than him. Oh, steady, steady, steady. <laughs> Andreas Anderson had his moments. He had his moments. Well, as Paul Oxley says, he scored at Old Trafford. He did. He did. And I mean, he was he was all right. Again, he was he was a lovely fella, but um, he was a bit leggy, and he was a, he was a, he was he was actually quite Joel Linton like. I'm backing Joel Linton to score tomorrow. I'm backing yeah. Joel Linton to score tomorrow. Two 0 Joel Linton to score. Get get down to the boogies. You've got more chance of winning no, on no, Mick's no. bet than you have on the <laughs> yeah, than you have on the national. Mick, as always, mate, absolute pleasure. You have a no good problem, weekend, mate. And you. Take care. Bye bye. See you. Bye bye.